0: Welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim, three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Welcome to The Unveiling. I'm one of your hosts, Tim, with me today as usual, Ajay and Mark. Today is episode 18, and we are going to be discussing the law. And I think the first thing we need to do, Mark, is we need to get some kind of definition on what we mean when we say the law, because I think mankind has kind of changed it modified it, did things to it. And I don't think it means what we're going to uh, completely, what we're going to be talking about. So why don't you start us off with some def- definitions?
1: Great. I would love to, in, in- I'll just put in that the reason we're doing this podcast on the law was kind of me kind of forcing it on the, <laughs> on the other guys. It's that as as the unveiling started like around a year ago, and as we all studied deeply and contemplated scripture, and we we all kind of came to the conclusion that one of the most powerful, transforming, impacting, impactful things that Christ did through his death and resurrection was to take us out from under the law. That brings us freedom. It brings us righteousness and justification, uh, makes it possible for us to be new creation, children children of God, just the, the inheritance that we gain by not being judged by the law anymore. Is just huge, and in a greater uh, what's the word? A greater uh, push to try to understand that and have it work in our lives. We decided we want to kind of talk about the law today. So I just want to start by saying a little bit of a differentiation that God gave the law. We're talking about the God given law today. What its what its use is? Uh, the Apostle Paul said that the law is good when properly used. Now that just screams the question, well, what is the proper use? Because in our opinions, for the most part, it's been improperly used within the church really for centuries from the beginning. When the Apostle Paul was preaching it, he was constantly having having to fight against people trying to put people, like preachers, putting people back under the law. So we wanted to have that, that, um, talk today. And God's law, we know, is given in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch is called. And it's, you know, it's the law of Moses is what the Jews would have called it, which includes the Ten Commandments primarily. And then it also includes Levitical laws, Deuteronomic laws, just all the things that were added by God to it, um, given to Israel. And then over time. Israel took God's law and started to add their own little addendums to it until finally there's just hundreds and hundreds of these extra laws that they were trying to live by. It was no longer enough to do a good job at the Ten Commandments. Now you had the ceremonial law and sacrifices, and they just built their whole system out of it. And then once Christ came, his church grabbed onto it, and started doing the same thing, and started even widening the definition of the law. Now, what we're dealing with today, though, is just God's law, the law that came with God, from God. And on that, Ajay, I'm going to pass it over to you.
2: Yeah, so just to clarify a little bit on, you know, what God's law is, as Mark already mentioned, right, it's the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law of Moses. And uh, in the Ten Commandments, you could find them in Exodus chapter 10 right you will not have any god before you and then commandments like you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal and it goes all the way to you shall not even covet meaning that you know you should not desire anything that belongs to anyone else so someone might ask okay it is well and good you know this law is uh, written in the book of uh, uh, law of moses and only jews have that what about rest of the world so the bible also says that you know for those people who do not have the law of moses they have the law written in their hearts so their conscience bearing witness so no matter where you are born which religion you belong to you can tell you know killing someone is wrong and uh, committing adultery is wrong right you know taking something from someone else which does not belong to you or even desiring someone else's wife or anything like that it is wrong so Intuitively, we know that. So these laws are specifically referred to as moral laws are written in the Ten Commandments and the same laws are also written in each one's hearts. And the Bible says, "In our conscience bears witness. So for people who do not have the law of Moses, they have the conscience. So as again, uh, um, Mark mentioned, you know, law itself is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. But, you know, the way we try to use the law, you know, that's where we are going to go uh, more into it. But as you can know, as you've just heard, the law doing like telling, you know, people not to commit adultery and not to murder, not to steal, you know, these are all good things, right? You know, but we are probably, you know, going to go more into this, like using the law to become righteous before God, you know, that's what is wrong.
1: Yeah, I wanted to uh, just expand on that a little bit. So to further define the the improper use of the law, it's taking what God gave that is good. We all agree that not murdering, not committing adultery, not lying, not stealing, those are all good things. No one's going to argue about that in any culture, pretty much. Even your your, uh, relativistic atheists or secular humanists they're going to have a mental philosophical philosophical discussion trying to tell you that, oh, it's all relative, you know. But the minute you steal something from them, all that philosophical language goes out the window because they're going to say, hey, that's that's wrong. That's not fair. Well, wait a minute. You just argued there's no such thing as right. Or we all know that that's just nonsense and it's people sitting in a think tank somewhere coming up with social experiments. But um, there is an improper use of the law, though. That in our definition would be to try to earn, deserve, or merit salvation, righteousness, or blessing from God. He didn't give us the law. I love the way Tim once put it. He didn't give us the law to show us how to do it right. He gave us the law to show us that we can't do it right and that we are in need of of an answer to that, a salvation from that, a Savior to be more specific. And in fact, taking the law, which is good, and using it, that becomes a perversion of the gospel, and it actually becomes an evil thing. And and the apostle Paul and other apostles call it living by the flesh, living by your own ability to do the right things and not do the wrong things. That's not what the law was given for. Justification is by faith alone, not through the works of the law. And uh, just to tie up my uh, little portion here, I wanted to read to you what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 9.30. And he's talking about the people of the law, the Jews who took God's law and built a religion out of it, were trying to gain their righteousness out, out of this. He said, what then shall we say? that the Gentiles—those are all people in the world beside the Jews, just to define it—that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the laws, the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And I just love the way Paul concludes that. This is the stumbling stone that almost all humanity stumbles over. Take any world religion, take atheism, secular humanism, whatever you want to take, they all have a set of rules that they're trying to be accepted by keeping. If you're an atheist Uh, You're probably going to be a liberal. You're going to be a secular humanist. You're going to have to say the right things. You need to be politically correct. You need to be tolerant of everything except Christianity or or absolute truth. Um, So that's the stumbling stone we all stumble over, that we think something in us makes us think that it's our behavior that the things we do and the things that we don't do that cause us to be righteous, to be good people or bad people, that cause us to look good in God's eyes. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, that is the stumbling stone, because it's not by the things we do, but it's by our faith in Christ alone.
2: Yeah. so Mark, uh, you talked about the improper use of the law. So, but, you know, if one asks, you know, what is the purpose of the law? You know, why did the law, God, even give the law? You know, I'm reminded of this um, story in the Gospels where a man goes to our Lord Jesus Christ and says, Master, what must I do to attain eternal life? Then the Lord points, you know, thou shalt not, you know the law of Moses, um, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, you know. Thou shalt honor your father and mother. And then the answer from the young man was, from my childhood, I've been doing all these things, right? So there are people, you know, you might be surprised. You know, we might think that, okay, everybody knows that nobody can keep this, but there are people who still think they are pretty good. There are many, many people in this world who think they are really good. There's nothing wrong with them and they really don't need anybody to help them. So the purpose of the law, it says in Romans 3.19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world might be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the main purpose of the law is making people know that, you know, they have this problem to make uh, conscious of their sin. You know, it's not that God is out there trying to, you know, make people feel bad. But think of this, right? You know, when we go to the doctor, you know, we go for annual physical every year. So if you go to the doctor, the doctor does a number of tests. You know, the tests are not meant to make us feel bad or to make us make... Or to prove that, you know, something is wrong with us, but you know, that just a set of measures to identify whether there's something wrong with us. So if you pass all the checks, then you're declared as healthy. And if you if any test comes negative, that means you know there's something is wrong with you. So that's why the law gave us, you know, when you take any human being and run him through the test of the law, they'll be falling short. And the reason why the law is necessary is some people, you know, even though they are sick, in my analogy, They're thinking they're pretty healthy. Only when they are exposed to the law, they realize that there's something wrong with them. And they realize, you know, they have this problem called sin. And then they will seek out for the solution, which is our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: That's awesome, Andre. Uh, I wanted to say my old my old pastor, a good friend of mine, he used to all like, we just don't ever want people as the Apostle Paul constantly backed him up saying that I'm not saying the law is not good. The law is good. What my old pastor friend used to say is there's nothing wrong with the law. We're what's wrong with the law. Romans 8 says that for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So what's wrong with the law is that we don't have the moral power to keep it. Now, the law is good. In fact, it's too good. It's perfect. Now, as Ajay said, you know, you may compare yourself. We're not trying to say you're a bad guy, you're a bad woman. Man, are you bad? You know, compared to your neighbor, you may be awesome, but God's law is perfect. It's so good and so perfect that you are powerless to keep it perfectly. And that's what creates the problem because that's the standard we're called to if we're going to try to gain righteousness through the law. And Scripture says no one is righteous, not one. But Scripture also says that Christ was the only one that walked through his life perfectly fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. I love that because God's given us that answer to us being unrighteous under the law. He gave his Son, who perfectly fulfilled it in all things, never sinning, and then offered himself for the forgiveness of our sins and our declaration of righteousness through him. I think that what humanity has done with the law is they've used
0: it as a gauge of, how good am I? And then they use it, to compare themselves to others, God doesn't do that. He looks at each individual and applies the same set of rules. And if you can't abide by those, then you need a savior. Okay, you can't look at the guy down the street and go, "Well, he's a drug drug addict and he steals things to get drug, you know, money for drugs and things like that." You you can't do it. It's a one on one review, more or less, of who you are and what you've done. And here's the list of rules we're reviewing you by. We get comfortable in our idea that, well, I'm better than those people. What you're saying to yourself is, I've defined for me where the line of good and evil is, but it doesn't match God's line.
1: That line's always right
2: behind us, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? exactly. we're, we're just on the other side of that line, no matter who yeah. we are.
2: Yeah, using our analogy, it's like, you know, when you get sick, it's like saying, I'll do my own diagnosis. You know, there's no one diagnosis for this sickness, but you know, I'll do my own. So that's how it is like, you know, when people say, I have my own standards of righteousness. So um, going back to the purpose of the law, uh, there is a scripture in the Bible in Galatians that clearly defines, I thought, you know, it it, uh, very well summarizes uh, succinctly what the purpose of the law is. In Galatians chapter three, verse 19, I'm reading from New King James Version. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin, That the promise by the faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So clearly, it says here, right, you know, law was given because of our sins. Meaning that you know to show us that we have this problem called sin, and then that is a diagnosis part. And then law was given so that we can go to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the heavenly physician who can cure us of all our diseases. And once the disease is cured, right, you know, we no longer need the diagnosis until you fall sick again. But the good news is, you know, Lord Jesus Christ makes us righteous once and for all. So we will never fall sick. So we never really need another diagnosis. So the purpose of the law ends once someone comes to Christ and receives the gift of righteousness and receives the healing from the heavenly physician, our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Ajay, I wanted to hearken back, if I might, just because I enjoy hearkening, to Romans 3.19. And um, you you had read this earlier, and it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. There's a purpose, so that the law holds everybody guilty. All those that are under the law are guilty. So then that begs the question, well, Is everybody under the law? Now, the scripture you just read said that once faith is come, we are no longer under the law. So there are only one group of people in this world that are not being judged and condemned by the law. And those are people that have put their faith in Christ. So when it says, for whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, that means all unbelieving people in the world— The law was given to show them that they are unrighteous and cannot keep that perfect law and need a savior. And then there are also another set of people that became believers and then voluntarily put themselves back under the
2: law. Yeah, Mark, you know, I think uh, that is, that's where I think we are trying to, uh, we are striving so hard to bring that clarity, right? People who are truly saved by putting their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, for them the law ends at that point of time. So going back under the law is pure ignorance. What it will do is actually, you know, provoke the flesh again. You know, even though they are not uh, technically under the bondage of sin, they put themselves back under the bondage of sin because they're going back under the law.
1: Just to put it in kind of human, paraphrase it in human terms, I was a believer for 25 years, an avid student of Scripture, before I understood the proper use of the law. The law was given to show us that we are sinners and need a Savior. It wasn't given to show us how to live better lives, how to gain God's acceptance and righteousness. Mankind has turned that kind of thinking into religion. That's what all religion is, even the Christian religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is faith in what Christ has done. It's all about you and him together in communion, living your lives. And so so, so many people don't understand the only reason the law was given was to bring you to Christ, to show you that sin is utterly sinful, that no one is righteous. And so many, millions and millions throughout the ages, have missed that. And the law has been added to the gospel. It was only meant to bring you to the gospel, and that's kind of the point I want to go to right now. And that's that the law was meant to be transitory. Second Corinthians three tells us that uh, when when the last old covenant prophet. Uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. He's referring to the covenants. The old covenant must decrease and Christ's coming. Now grace and the gospel increases. Same thing's supposed to ha- have happened in our lives, that we have transitioned from the law to faith in Christ, justification and relationship through our faith in him. And uh, just, I'm going to pick up from where Aj just finished reading in Galatians 3. It says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian under Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith, is, faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So why do we continue to insist that we put ourselves back under the guardian of the law? The Apostle Paul says that that when we were under the law, we are like underage children. Even though we may be at some point inheriting the Father's entire kingdom, you put yourself back under the law, you're just like a slave. Little kids don't inherit But when we grow up and become adults and come out from under that law into faith in Christ, then the riches of God's glorious inheritance become ours. So we are not meant to be under that schoolmaster or guardian anymore. It's time to grow up and turn to Christ wholeheartedly.
2: Yeah, in fact, you know, after coming to Christ, you know, if you still go back under the law, you can never bear fruit to God. Romans chapter 7 Verse 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that you should bear fruit to God. So the purpose of being delivered from the law, right, so that we can bear fruit to God. In other words, even after becoming born again, even after coming to our Lord Jesus Christ, if you go back under the law you will not be able to bear fruit to God. So that's one of the reasons you know, why we emphasize so much that believers are not under the law. You know, many a time, I think in more than uh, unbelievers, I think probably the church will oppose us and get angry if you say that uh, we are believers are not under the law. I think the reason for that is somehow they think, you know, if you take people out of the law, they will not produce fruit, right? They will go and sin like crazy. But the Bible clearly says that, the very reason God wants us to be out of the law. Therefore, my brethren, you've also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who raised, who was raised from the dead, so that we should bear fruit to God. So it's very, very important to understand that a believer is not under the law and the believer does not need the law to bear fruit to God. And even more,
0: I agree with your definition there completely of why so many people don't like the the you know grace being what it is, and that I want to add to, and say that people who believe against grace and who who are really just it's FOMO in my apparent in my opinion fear of missing out. They think you know you get to go do all this stuff that I can't do because I'm under the law that says do this, don't do that but we we want to do these things too but we can't because we're under the law well we don't do those things not because we're under the law but because we have a new nature now we are in Christ and Christ is in us and those things aren't who we are anymore you know it's not a matter of going out in debauchery and good times and things like that it's just a matter of a new life and a new person
1: well I think we've Three of us have done a good job at kind of explaining the improper use of the law. And I just maybe we could turn a little more positive now for people out there. Before we do that, before we do that, if you don't mind, I'm going
0: to interject one thing. And I think we've defined the law. We call that the law of God. And it encompasses the Ten Commandments and things like that. I think one of the problems people have is they're using a more humanistic definition of law. No, I'm not defining the law. I'm defining kind of the idea of what people look at law is, and that is it's a human or self-imposed system of thinking and or activity where by commission or omission, we attempt to gain or avoid blessings or punishment. And that, that goes for civil law, criminal law, the things of the world. And, and since that's what they're used to seeing, that's they kind of impose some of that on the law.
1: Yeah. A good example is in the modern church. Throughout the centuries, traditions have been added that were not given by God. In fact, that was one of Jesus' criticisms of the Pharisees in Israel they were that they were no longer worshiping God but just following men's traditions some of the things we see in in modern day church depending on denomination is that you got to read a chapter of the bible every day you have to be in a small group you have to serve you have to give 10% you know fill in the blank some churches it's all negative what you can't do you can't be a homosexual you can't drink alcohol you can't play cards you can't dance the list just goes on and on but it's all that same core of trying to to gain in some way, either salvation or holiness or God blessing you more. The more money you give to God, all oh, the more he's going to give back to you. No, not ro- not right. Not right. He already gave us everything at the cross. Okay. Can I uh, turn positive now, Tim, unless you wanted to get a little more negativity in there? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm <laughs> done bringing us down. Okay. So what I wanted to say now is just, I wanted to kind of turn things around here and talk about the proper use of the law, and and what that is. So turning positive then, uh, just to kind of pick up uh, Ajay's Romans 7 reading, we move on to 7.6, which says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Now, 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. So here's what the choice comes for for the world and especially for believers. Am I going to live by the old way of the written code, which is devoid of the Holy Spirit, or am I going to live in the new way of the Spirit? 2 Corinthians 3 once again tells us that the new covenant of faith alone and In the cross, in Christ's blood, the new covenant, um, is the ministry of the Spirit. The old covenant, this law that some people are so adamant about trying to add, tells us that it's a ministry of death and condemnation. We're called to something better than religion, than the Christian religion. We're called to something better than faith in Christ plus and trying to mix them, too. Do not mix together. We've talked about that many times, um, that when you bring in your own works, you're, you're quenching the Spirit in your life. You're driving them out and putting a veil up between you and God. So it's about leaving the old way of the written code and serving in the new way of the Spirit. Galatians 2, Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. If you're under the law now and adding things, you're not living for God. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that when we we live under the law, it's like we're preaching ourselves. He said, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourself as your servants for his sakes. You're not living for God and you're not preaching Christ when you're living under the law. You're saying, hey, come and do these things like we do because we're good. Look, we don't do what those people do. Um, so I just love that he's telling us the new way is the, of the spirit and that leaving the law is living for God. And he goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That's a pretty clear, powerful way of putting it, If isn't it? If you're making it as though if you stay under the law, Instead of you're setting aside grace and you're, you're saying Christ died for nothing because I can do this.
2: Yeah, I love this uh, passage, Mark, you know, the one that you just read, right? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Then I guess for most of the Christians is, you know, they hear this, you know, once you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're no longer under the law. Then, then the question immediately becomes, how do I live then? You know, my whole life I've been living by rules and regulations. Do this and don't do this. Like, how do I go about living? So this is a new way of life. And it says right here, right? You know, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives his life in me. And now the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here, you know, if you read it carefully, what it's saying is when I live by faith in the Son of God, you know, specifically focusing on the one who loved me and gave himself for me, there's a reason he added it, right? You know, our focus is always on Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm living by faith in him. So what it is saying is if there is a person who loved me and gave himself for me, I can trust in Him. So for my day-to-day living and for everything I need, all I do is I simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to provide everything that I need and to be my guide, to me, my wisdom, and to me, to be my strength and enabling me to do everything. So I simply trust Him. You know, when I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, the scripture says Christ will live His life in me. It's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. But it doesn't involve that, you know, sometimes people might interpret this as, okay, now I have to deny myself. Now I have to put myself aside, my desires aside, and let Christ take over me. But here, if you read carefully, right, as we put our trust in the one who loved me and gave himself for me, then Christ's life will manifest in us. That is so beautiful. Everything is here. And it really is a great
1: definition of freedom because the law is bondage. The Apostle Paul tells us that over and over. Galatians 5.1 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. And if you read the chapter before and the chapter after, it clearly is stating that the yoke of slavery, the bondage, that you're being burdened by is the law. It's you do adding things, doing things. Do this, don't do that. Behavior modification, performance. That just that that's the opposite of freedom. That's that's being in prison. And I think we were all there at one time, and we know just it's not a fun lifestyle at all. One thing I wanted to finish up with here as we're uh, nearing the end is just kind of a call to action for lack of a better word, an encouragement to action for people that are Christians. And we've all been there, all three of us, you know, you've probably heard us tell our stories before. For years, we went to church and we didn't understand the true gospel, which over and over in Scripture says is the message of God's grace, His undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor or love for us. And so our, in, our desire is for you to come into the same freedom that we've entered into. And so I wanted to tell you, some of you might know, have heard the term reticular vision. This is something, one of the many amazing ways God's, God has designed us. But our brains have something called retic- reticular vision. And one example would be, have you ever uh, gone out car shopping and you're like, I'm going to get so-and-so model in this color and you and you're thinking about getting that also in the next week everywhere you turn in traffic there's that car there's that white Chevy, there's that, you know, whatever it is. Or another example would be, you've driven the same way to work hundreds and hundreds of times and passed an empty field that had a house demolished and there's just piles and piles of bricks. You've never noticed it. Your wife says to you, honey, I'd really like you to build a brick barbecue in the backyard. All of a sudden you drive that same way and notice it for the first time. So our encouragement is, to activate your reticular vision. And as you start to read Scripture, look for the things that we talk about on this podcast. Look for grace. Look for no longer under law. Look for what the one true gospel really is. And I recently heard a pastor on a radio ministry say, once you have that revelation of the message of God's grace and love for you, as you read Scripture, it's like breathing in heaven's air. And I think that's so beautiful. And I think the three of us can testify. It's so true. It's so true. You'll see things you never saw before. You're like, I read this I read this book of Scripture a hundred times so far in my life, and now it's new to me. It's new to me because the Spirit's in it now, because the new covenant is the ministry of the Spirit, and the Spirit keeps making things new for us.
0: IJ, final thought. Since Marks did a pretty good job of wrapping there, I want to give you a chance.
2: Yeah, I think just to summarize what we are saying is, you know, law is not a tool, you know, that God gave us to become righteous by it. It's also not a tool of sanctification for believers once they come to Christ. And it is not even a tool for getting blessings from God, you know. Sometimes it's so prevalent in the church, you know, if I obey, God will bless me if I don't obey God will curse me, like we discussed, law is given for one person, one purpose to make us realize that, you know, we are, we have sinned and we have a problem called sin and death is reigning over us so that we can come to Christ for salvation and for a new life. And once we come to Christ, we are no longer under the law and we don't need the law. And like Mark mentioned, you know, it's a life of freedom. So we are free in Christ. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we can live this new way of life, simply trusting in the one who loved us and gave himself for us and manifesting the life of Christ in and through us. If I could just
1: tag one thing on what Ajay just said and what I had said earlier, I gave an encouragement to believers. I also want to give an encouragement to unbelievers. Hopefully one thing you're picking up from this program is that true Christianity, the one true gospel, is not anything to do with do this, don't do that. It's not the law. That's what most people, believers, unbelievers alike, think Christianity is it's just another religion like the rest. I've got to say this, don't say that, believe this, don't believe that, do this, give this. That's not what it is. And I apologize to you for those, you know, the within the church that have misled you, but it's not just the church that's done it. TV has done it, programs, radio, magazines. The misrepresentation of the gospel throughout the ages has been that's a pandemic that needs to really be cured. So just want to encourage unbelievers as well as believers to find out for yourself, read the Bible for yourself, start in the New Testament, and hopefully you'll continue to listen to the unveiling and other ministry programs that are are, uh, preaching and seeking to go deeper into the one true gospel of grace through Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you very much, guys. This has been a very interesting discussion today. And those of you who are listening, have you got more questions? Do you disagree with us? Feel free to contact us at the unveiledgospel.com and we'll be glad to uh, interact with your communications, be it on a future program or directly back to you via email. That's all for us today. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking to you the next time. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast ij mark and myself god bless and we will talk with you next time